0: Again, turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 22, if you haven't already. Acts 22, Bible app. If you didn't bring a physical Bible and you don't have a Bible app, we have Bibles on the welcome table as well. But this morning, we're continuing our study through the book of Acts. We're going to be looking today at Paul's defense at the temple. Our main text is Acts 22, verses 1 through 22. But just for some brief context, as we looked at last week, Paul finally, as he's been traveling and finishing up his third missionary journey, finally makes it to Jerusalem. He stands before the Jerusalem elders and shares all that God had done through his ministry among the Gentiles. They all glorify the Lord. There's this really sweet sort of like worship sort of atmosphere that's happening and then all of a sudden, the the elders, what James, James kind of speaks up, and he's like, you know what? So the believers here in Jerusalem, they're they're really zealous for the law, and they've they've heard some things about you, Paul, and listing some of these things which were not true. There, these rumors were false that had been circulated about Paul that had made it to the ears of the believers in the church at Jerusalem, and so the remedy was sort of. Hey Paul, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you go and take these men who have made this vow, and why don't you join them and and pay their expenses and and go through these things? Show them that you're you're not against you know some of the things that they they thought that you were that they've heard that you are, and and we know that you don't have to, Paul. But you know, just laying down your own rights, like and Paul was fine with it. He he did it joyfully, willingly. He he was misunderstood but he did it he still wanted to minister he didn't want there to be any obstacles or hindrances for him to be able to minister effectively to to unbelieving and believing jews in the city of jerusalem in his time there but then as he's in the temple we find that there's these unbelieving jews who spot paul and they rile up the crowd and and they they bring their own false accusations against paul that he's against the jewish people he's against the law, he's against the temple. And to add to that, that's already bad enough. This guy brought Greeks, Gentiles, into the temple, into an area where they did not belong, where they, they should be put to death if they if they trespassed. And, and Paul did that. He brought these people in, and he's now defiled our holy place. Like, everything is a mess. Help us! And so, you know... You get a bunch of emotional people who all of a sudden are responding to this emotional plea. These false accusations, they bum rush Paul, they grab him, they're beating the crud out of him. And again, there's this misunderstanding, there's this misjudged sort of situation happening towards Paul. But the Romans intervene, whether they meant to in in, in the immediate of the situation or not, they find that Paul was the one who was being targeted. They grab him. They're trying to figure out what's happening. They, they bring him up towards the uh, Antonio Fortress there on the northwest corner of the temple area. And, and Paul, you know, speaks to the Roman commander and, and, and speaks to him in the Greek language. It trips the Roman commander out because he had the, his own misunderstanding about Paul. He thought he was this Egyptian imposter, assassin leader you know like in any other situation that'd be kind of fine street cred to have if you were like not a believer to be like you know think people think that you're tougher than you are this is the guy who led 4000 assassins into the wilderness he's like whoa don't mess with paul but as a believer that's not really the reputation that you want uh, especially because it wasn't true so paul sort of clears that up he's still seeking to minister and and after clearing up the misunderstanding with the roman commander he he asks him hey can i please speak to the people and that's where we're going to pick up in verse 40 after, actually of chapter 21 just a verse before our reading today just to kind of continue in this context and the flow of our study acts 21 Verse 40 says, So when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Paul's desire here in this opportunity was was to see this crowd one to Jesus Christ. And I think that's important for us to keep in mind. Because if, if any of us were in Paul's shoes, we might see a different opportunity here. We might see an opportunity to really just really lay it on these people of how jacked up they were, how wrong they were. I mean, you'd want to defend yourself. You're wrong. You believe the wrong things about me. I'm not that guy. You were wrong to beat me. I was not in the wrong... You guys should be the ones getting beaten right now. Like, we might take a different approach. Our, our opportunity might be one to, to avenge ourselves. Let me just kind of make sure that you know how messed up you are. And maybe not, hey, can I speak to the people because I really want to see them come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. I know they just beat me within an inch of my life and they're plotting my death, but I want them to be saved. Like Paul's a special dude. Paul's a different kind of guy. He wasn't seeking to win an argument. He wasn't seeking to put these people on blast. He wasn't even trying to get himself delivered from this situation as now he's in chains. No, we just wanted to see those in this crowd be drawn to a saving knowledge of Jesus. He, he spoke to this Jewish crowd in the Hebrew language so that they could all understand him. And, and just some takeaways, I think, even for ourselves, as we look at how Paul navigated this situation and in his defense, I think there are things for us to take away that we can learn from of how we can testify, how, how we can even share our testimony, how we can be witnesses to unbelievers. And I think the first thing that I, I want to point out here in just thinking about Paul speaking to them in the Hebrew language is that we need to try and speak the language, so to speak, of the person or people that we are trying to reach and try to find some commonality, a connecting point, so that we can engage them where they're at with the gospel, not expecting them to meet us where we're at. You know, I think sometimes we forget that unbelievers don't know the Christianese that we often speak. You know we get you know when we've walked with the Lord for a while and we've been studying his word we start to get familiar with words like sanctification and justification and and redemption and 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 these sorts of things and like having being washed with the blood of Jesus but when you share that with someone who's not he does, don't they don't have that same connection you know we want this I'm going to I want you you need to have the blood of Jesus applied to your life like that could sound really weird to somebody Like don't put any blood on me. Like get your blood away from me. I don't know. I don't know where you've been. Like, or or talking about justification. It's like, what are you talking about? Like, I I think in some ways, in just how we navigate being witnesses, we not that we dumb down and we remove biblical terms, but to remember that we need to meet people where they're at we need to speak to people where they're at not expect them to meet us where we're at with our whole understanding and where we've been but but to try to find some commonality and speak the language so to speak of the people that we're seeking to share the gospel with it's really important because if we don't have that sort of starting point we may say all the right things we may have the right heart the right motivation But if we're saying stuff that people are just going, I don't even know what you're talking about. I I don't get these things that you're saying. We're we're missing an opportunity there to just connect in a way, you know, connect where they're at. Meet them. Paul spoke their language. But look at what he said in verse 1 as he began his message. He addressed them as brethren and fathers. Again, these people had just gotten done beating him. And planning his death, and now he calls them brethren and fathers. He's associating with them as his people, and he's giving value and respect and honor to them. And this is huge, because Paul didn't let their treatment of him determine or or shape how he was going to treat or speak to them. And, and this kept the door open. And again, there's some things here for us to learn, clearly. Because we live in a culture nowadays where, and, and I think this is more prevalent on social media, where people get extra bold in talking about other people who they don't know at all. They've never seen face-to-face. And if they saw someone face-to-face, they would never say these things or be this bold in person or rude in person about someone else but we we live in a culture where some within sort of quote-unquote christendom feel like i can just disrespect and devalue people that are in our opinion wicked or godless and they may very well be wicked and godless but i can guarantee you if if you are disrespecting and devaluing and dishonoring someone and then you go but let me tell you about Jesus they don't care they're not going to care anything about what you have to say they for sure aren't going to think that you care about their soul the state of their eternity and we've got to we've got to guard ourselves in some ways within sort of the cultural moment that we're in to not fall into those things. Because it can be easy to see what other people are doing and, and feel like there's some sort of permission to go there too. And yet we don't. We don't have that permission. Because what we've been called to is, yes, we're called to be people of truth, but we're also to be people who show the agape love of Christ and who give value to people even when Maybe they're not valuing us or valuing our savior or valuing the word of God, valuing righteousness or morality. We, we, we should not be the ones closing the door because we're the ones who are acting terribly. Value, giving value to people and respect and honor. Paul did that. Paul did that. And I just, I love his example here, but, but After addressing them as brethren and fathers, he asked them to hear his defense, his answer, his reasoning that he was about to give. Paul is going now to give a defense. This is the Greek word apologia. It's where we get our word apologetics from. Just means to give an answer. But I want us to notice as we make our way through all of Paul's defense here that he never in his defense, which is really more of a testimony, never in his his defense does he ever get defensive or offensive. And again, there's things for us to learn here as we seek to be witnesses. Because, you know, sometimes when we're seeking to share the gospel with somebody, they might stick it to you a little bit. They might say something to you to, to try to get under your skin. They, they, they might try to you know undermine your beliefs. They might try to make you look dumb because you believe in a God who created all of the universe or who came as a human being and died for our sins. They may treat you a certain way and it can be easy in the moment to want to get defensive. Don't talk about my Jesus that way. Or, you know, we, we might want, like, it, they, we may get provoked in that sort of way. But to guard ourselves from becoming defensive in our defense, in our reasoning. And to be reasonable, to not be unreasonable in how we engage people with the gospel. But again, not just, not defensive, but not offensive. Offensive. Like, you know, somebody says something to us, so, that, so we just kind of, like, take it back to them. Like, oh, you want to disrespect me? I'm going to disrespect you back. Which is kind of like a, a natural sort of reaction, right, in our, in our flesh, but it's not the right reaction. But, but notice that as Paul gave this opening statement, the crowd, which had already become silent when he, you know, motioned with his hand, it now kept all the more silent you like, man, I want to hear what this guy's going to say. So Paul's going to step through this open door. He's going to share now about his life before Jesus saved him in verses 3 through 5. So let's continue on. Verse 3, it says, Then he said, verse 3, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, and brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God, as you all are Today, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness, and all the counsel of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. Paul knew there were some things that needed to be cleared up, in order for this crowd to have an open heart and mind to the things that he was going to share. The crowd had been stirred up by the false accusations of the unbelieving Jews from Asia, who again shouted for help, who accused Paul of, of being the man who teaches all people everywhere against the Jewish people, against the law, against the temple, saying that he had brought Greeks into the temple and defiled the holy place. This crowd had believed wrong things about Paul. So Paul had to clear up who he wasn't by telling them who he really was. And I, and I think there's something here, again, for us to learn as we seek to share the gospel. You know, sometimes when we're, sh- when we're seeking to share the gospel with someone, we have to clear up some confusion also. Because there are people who, because of their own experience, their background, that you know, maybe they grew up in the church, they saw some crazy things, they saw horrible Christians, they they had a Christian you know hurt them, or or maybe they were exposed to false teaching or some sort of false religion, or who knows? They have they bring all these things into this, into that dynamic when you're now seeking to share the gospel with them. And so sometimes we have to clear up some of the confusion. We have to tell them who Jesus is and what he's about. We have to tell who we are and and what we're about. And, and even telling what we aren't about at times. What we aren't okay with that maybe has left a bad taste in the mouth of the person we're sharing with. Maybe because of Christians that they've met with who had bad theology or who had bad conduct, who weren't representing Jesus well. And I think there's even moments, if I need to give you some permission, it's okay to apologize on behalf of Jesus or the church. When, when someone's been exposed to something that is clearly unbiblical, that's left that bad taste, it's okay for us to go, I'm so sorry that that was your experience. I'm so sorry that that person did that to you. That's not Jesus. That's not what his word says. That's not what we're supposed to be about. And I'm sorry that you've been hurt. I'm sorry that that's happened in your life. And, and, and to be able to meet them in that place even. Not apologizing for the gospel. Not apologizing for the truth. Not apologizing for those things. But when something's out of line, to be able to go, that, that was jacked up that they did that. And I'm sorry about that. And to be able to meet them in that place, to be able to clear up some of that confusion, to, to be able to explain even who Jesus really is, what the Bible really says, what Christianity is all about, before people will be willing to really listen to us and before we'll have the opportunity to share the gospel with them. Clearing up confusion is sometimes a part of how we witness As Paul begins to give his defense, his reasoning, his answer, he first points out who he was and where he was from. He was a Jew. He wasn't an Egyptian imposter like the Roman commander thought he was. He was born in Tarsus of Cilicia. He was brought up, educated in the city of Jerusalem at the feet of Gamaliel, who was a highly respected rabbi in that day. And that discipleship to Gamaliel was one where he was taught according to the strictness of their father's law, both Mosaic law and the traditions of the elders, which created in Paul this zeal. He was zealous toward God, just as the crowd that day were. He was so zealous, in fact, he goes on to say that he persecuted this way, the way, speaking of Christianity and the Christian message, persecuting this way to the death trying to destroy it binding and delivering both men and women into, into prison and and the high priest and the council of the elders this is a reference to the the sanhedrin the ruling religious council these people gave paul letters to bring to damascus where he was gonna bring in chains those who were there to jerusalem to be punished And Luke records some of this for us in Acts chapter 8 verses 1 through 3 and Acts chapter 9 verses 1 and 2. You know, in Paul giving this history, it's likely that some in this crowd knew Paul when he was still Saul of Tarsus. When he was Saul the Pharisee. When he was Saul the persecutor of the way. Maybe they remembered some of these people hearing about this zealous man of God who trained under Gamaliel. Or maybe they even remembered seeing him going on raids in Jerusalem into the homes of Christians. Breaking into people's homes and and binding men and women, women and putting them into prison. But in Paul sharing about his life before being saved by Jesus Christ... He's letting them know that he was still very much a Jew and that he used to be just like them used to be just like them. He doesn't elevate himself above them as being better than them. he doesn't try to minimize or hide how terrible his his actions were in, in what he did to Christians over twenty years earlier and he, and he makes sure this crowd knows that the religious leaders who they respected, the high priests and the council of elders, that these men would have had to testify that what Paul was sharing about himself was true. This could all be corroborated. But let's not get the wrong idea here as we read what Paul shared about his life before Christ. Paul wasn't speaking of his terrible actions before Christ saved him with any kind of pride or fondness. This wasn't a lighthearted moment like, man, I was going around and I was breaking down and I was imprisoning. It was great. Like He, he wasn't looking back at the old days like, but with the, the smile on his face as he was sharing all of these things. No, not at all. In fact, Paul felt unworthy to even be called an apostle because of how he persecuted the church of God. He says this in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 9. And when writing to Timothy in his first letter to Timothy, he recalled how he was formerly a blasphemer and persecutor and an insolent man, a brash man. And he called himself there the chief of sinners in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 16. And yet in his feelings of unworthiness, he saw and understood the grace of God towards him and how the Lord saved him and called him. You know, and I, I think about us, maybe, maybe some of us today. Maybe maybe there's some in here. Maybe you have shame from the past that makes you feel unworthy to serve the Lord in the present. I want to encourage you if, you, if that's you today, be reminded of God's grace and mercy toward you. And know that he has a plan for you and can use you in spite of who you are once were just like he was able to do with Saul of Tarsus. Paul clarified who he is and by doing that who he wasn't. Talked about his life before Christ saved him, but now in the ver- in verses 6 through 11 he's going to talk about his own personal encounter with Jesus and we see this in verses 6 through 11. Let's read those verses. Verse 6. Paul goes on to say, "Now it happened as I journeyed And came near Damascus at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of the light, of that light being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. Notice that Paul is sharing his own testimony. He's not sharing someone else's. Let me tell you about this other person who met Jesus. Not that that's wrong. Like, you could talk about someone else's life, but he shared his own testimony. He shared how Jesus intervened in his life when he wasn't looking for Jesus. In fact, he was persecuting Jesus. He was against Jesus. And yet Jesus intervened. In his life and revealed himself and spoke to him and and drew Paul to a place of belief. You know, we can learn from this as well. Whether we feel like we have much of a testimony or not. I remember when I was younger feeling like, man, I don't really have much to share with anybody. Like I haven't really done anything in my life. Just kind of hung out, grew up in a Christian home. I don't really have anything to share that's going to like really impact someone else's life for the gospel. I wish now at this point in my life that I could still say that. I wish I didn't have to then take a road where then I had a testimony, but there's, there, there's regret attached to those things. Because there's something cool about a testimony where you go, Jesus, uh, you know, Jesus met me and, and he saved me and I've just stayed close to him by his grace and, that's that's an amazing testimony of the power and the keeping power of God in a person's life, just as much as Him reaching them in the pit of despair. Not a Princess Bride reference, but could be the pit of despair. Anyways, <clears throat> and he clears his throat. Anyways, you not see? You haven't seen Princess Bride? Watch it. Anyways, okay, moving on. So. You know, whether we feel like we have much of a testimony or not, if Jesus has met with us, if he's spoken to us, if he's, if he saved us by his amazing grace. Listen, we have a testimony to share and he wants us to share it. Share what God's done in your life. It's much more powerful and effective when you share what God's done personally with you. Someone can try to deny it, but they really can't. But, but when you're speaking from first-hand experience of what God did in your life, that that will have an impact in some way in the life of someone else. It may not be immediate transformation. It, it, something will stick. You know, a lot of what Paul talks about here in his defense was recorded by Luke back in Acts chapter 9. So we've already looked at some of these things in depth when we, when we studied through that chapter. If you want to go back and Listen to any of those studies. You can find them on our church website or even our church app. But it, but in verse 6, Paul says that his encounter with Jesus happened at noon. This is actually something that Luke doesn't record in his, uh, his telling of it earlier on. Paul now giving firsthand testimony says it was at noon. He makes sure his audience knew that the brightness of the glory of Jesus, which he described as a great light from heaven which shone around him, was far greater than the brightness of the sun, which was overhead, so bright that it left him blinded. a light so bright that those traveling with him saw it and were afraid because of it. But he notes that these men who are with him didn't hear the voice of Jesus who spoke to Paul, but I, I love what Paul shares with this crowd about the moment that he met Jesus. Because through the things he shares, he's also pointing to the fact that Jesus did rise from the grave. That this living, resurrected Lord, who he had persecuted, was very much alive and showed himself in glory and spoke to Paul. And I'm sorry, if I switch back and forth between Paul and Saul this morning, I apologize, but... There's moments where he was Saul when it happened, so I try to say Saul, and then moments as he's... Anyways, just bear with me. If I say Saul or Paul, it's the same person I'm talking about this morning. He, he's he's pointing out that Jesus is alive. How could he be blinded and, and hear the voice of this Jesus of Nazareth if... If Jesus hadn't rose from the grave, these people in this crowd had been led to believe by the the religious leaders that Jesus' body had been stolen away. Remember, that was what they had been told by the guards. This was the story that was circulated through all of Jerusalem. His disciples came and stole his body away. That's why it wasn't in the tomb. So that's what these people believed. He really died He didn't resurrect. He just, you know, his disciples stole his body. But Paul's saying, no, no, no. No one stole his body. He actually did rise from the grave. And I saw him personally. I was persecuting him. I didn't believe in him. But then I saw him. And I heard him. And and he blinded me. And I fell to the ground. Like he humbled me to the point where I had to say, Lord, to this man who I was against just moments earlier. But he also makes it clear through what he shared that Jesus is incredibly gracious and merciful and ready to forgive even someone who was viciously persecuting him and his people. Jesus' words to Saul of Tarsus wasn't, Today you're gonna die, sucker. Like he didn't he didn't go prepare to meet your maker, and then he just like boom like just evaporated him and turned him into like a, a pile of dust. Like he goes, look, like, get up and go to Damascus. I'm going to tell you what you need to do. There's grace there. There's mercy there. That, that Paul heard something from Jesus that wasn't what he probably thought he would have heard. You persecuted me. Well, now you're really going to get it. But That wasn't, that wasn't what he heard. And he's also pointing out through what he shared here that, that Jesus had authority. That he was worthy of being obeyed as Paul went to Damascus, did exactly what Jesus had told him, even though he had to be led by the hand in his blinded state. And I think, again, just of things that we can learn from Paul's defense, his testimony here of, of things for us to implement in our testimony is that we've got to put all the emphasis on Jesus. Yeah, share what's happened in your life. You can share who you were before Christ met you. You can share those things, but make sure you put the focus on Jesus. Put all the emphasis on who he is, his character and his nature and his power and his grace and his love. What put the emphasis on what he's done. How he came and how he died for us and how he rose from the grave and how he's ascended to the right hand of the father and he's ever living to make intercession for us and he's prepared a place for us put all the emphasis on how he saved us by his grace how we can how he can save the person or the people that we're sharing with that it wasn't just for me it wasn't just for you it wasn't just for these disciples that jesus's free gift of salvation is for them that they know that there's hope in Jesus for them, that there's forgiveness of sins for them. If they'll turn to Jesus, put the emphasis on Jesus. But Paul continues on after talking about his encounter with Jesus to talk about who God used then to minister to him and the calling that God had placed on his life to be a witness. We see this in verses 12 through 16 as we continue on. Verse 12, then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, "'having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, "'came to me, and he stood and said to me, "'Brother Saul, receive your sight. "'And at that same hour I looked up at him. "'Then he said, "'The God of our fathers has chosen you, "'that you should know his will and see the just one "'and hear the voice of his mouth, "'for you will be his witness to all men "'of what you have seen and heard. "'And now why are you waiting?' Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Again, Luke recorded this account in Acts chapter 9, but Ananias wasn't just a certain disciple as Luke describes him in Acts chapter 9, because Paul here says that he was a devout man according to the law, who had a good testimony with all the Jews who lived in Damascus. This would mean something to this crowd. You know if it was just some gentile person they'd be like well we don't even believe anything that you're saying now but it was a devout man according to the law he had a good reputation among all the Jews and this devout man Ananias was sent by the Lord to Saul to Saul in order to lay hands on him so he'd regain his sight he give a message to Saul from the Lord be used by the Lord in ministering to Saul right after his conversion to see Saul have at least some initial discipleship be baptized and, and strengthen Saul in his newfound relationship with Jesus Christ. But, but again, things that we can kind of learn from this is that, you know, we're, we're called to make disciples, not just to make converts. You know, it, it, it can be easy to just feel like, well, I'm just going to preach the gospel, I'm going to move on. I'll preach, the, you know, okay, I'll, I'll share the gospel and just move on. But it's like, there has to be follow-up, there has to be some sort of discipleship some intentionality with the people that we're seeking to share with and especially if that person puts their faith in jesus to be able to follow up and seek to encourage them in their relationship with the lord and see them grow in the lord we're not just jesus didn't say just go into the world and and just make converts and then just move on he said no make disciples what do you that, that means to make people who are followers of jesus who are are, are, are sitting at the feet of Jesus, who are growing in Jesus and serving Jesus. But, but notice the message that God gave to Ananias for Saul in verses 14 and 15. He said, The God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. In Paul sharing this with this specific crowd he's also helping them to see that he hadn't just become a follower of some false god or some weird cult. No, it was the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. This was Yahweh, the Lord, who had chosen Saul that he should know God's will, meaning God had given special purposes Revelation to Paul regarding his will, and that Saul was a chosen instrument by God Himself, and not just chosen to know God's will, but also to see the just one and hear the voice of His mouth. The the just or righteous one, who Paul uh, who spoke to Saul and was was none other than Jesus. Paul already made that clear. Who appeared to him and spoke to him on the road to Damascus? The one who is. Lord, this message from devout Ananias who had a good testimony among all the Jews helped to reinforce that Saul had an encounter with the resurrected Messiah, God in human flesh, the only Savior of humanity, Jesus. God desired to take Saul and make him his witness to all people of what he had seen and heard what Saul had seen and heard and encountered was the crucified and resurrected Lord and Messiah Jesus and it was Jesus that Saul was to be a witness of te- testifying to others about Jesus and again just things that we can take away here for our own lives you know this wasn't just a one off like well just Paul was the only one that God ever chose for something he's you know he was the only one that God desired to testify of what he had heard And seen, no. Jesus has also chosen us to be his witnesses, who tell others about him. What we have seen and heard, we need to share as well. This is part of being those witnesses. We're we're telling others about the one who has saved us. But but Paul continues on from this point by switching gears. A bit in what he shares now talking about a vision that jesus gave him when he was Praying in the temple at jerusalem years earlier. Let's read verses 17 through 21 I think we're going to make it this morning Verse 17 now it happened when I returned to jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance and saw him saying to me Make haste and get out of jerusalem quickly for they will not receive your testimony concerning me So I said lord Lord they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed on uh, believe on you, and when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by, consenting to his death, and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. But I think Paul, in some ways, is trying to, like, tell the Lord, like, hey, but like I have this testimony now. I think it'll mean something to these people. But but Jesus responds to him in verse twenty one. Then he said to me, "Depart." for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. As Paul continued to look back in what he shares, he now jumps in time three years from his time in Damascus where he met Jesus and was saved by Jesus to the time where he first came to Jerusalem as a saved person and initially received a a, a very cold reception from the disciples In Jerusalem because they were all afraid of him. And didn't believe that he was a disciple. I talked about this. I referenced this last week. We find this in Acts 9 verses 26 through 30. He wasn't received until Barnabas brought Paul to them. And and then vouched for Paul. Or Saul at that time. But but during Saul's 15 day stay in Jerusalem at that time. he, He spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus. He disputed against the Hellenistic Jews. These were those who were immersed in Greek culture and and who predominantly spoke Greek, but these Hellenists attempted to kill him. So the church sent him away to Tarsus, which was Saul's hometown. Now in Luke's account in Acts chapter nine, we're only told that the brethren found out about the Hellenists attempting to kill Saul. And and so that's why they kind of sent him away But Paul here is giving more insight into what happened. He tells this crowd that when he was in Jerusalem about 17 years earlier, again in his first visit to Jerusalem as a saved person, that he was praying in the temple. And that as he prayed, he was in a trance, meaning he received an ecstatic vision from the Lord. And he saw Jesus saying to him, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me as Paul shares this part of why I believe he's sharing this is that is, is to help this crowd to know that clearly he wasn't against this place, this temple like he was accused of by the unbelieving Jews from Asia and this is re- reinforced in how Paul after his conversion was praying in the temple in Jerusalem and received this vision from the Lord but but it was through that vision, and the, and the conversation Paul had with the Lord that Jesus commissioned Paul, telling him to depart because he was sending him far away to the Gentiles. Saul no doubt relayed this message from Jesus to Peter and, and those in the Jerusalem church back when it happened. And this was all part of why the church responded by sending Saul away to Tarsus. But, but why did Paul include this in his defense his his reasoning his answer is his testimony to this crowd i mean he must have known that the moment he said the word gentiles this crowd was going to go bonkers he could have just avoided that he could have just moved on and touched on some other things but he wouldn't have been true to the calling that god had placed on him on his life This crowd needed to know that the Lord himself, Jesus, the just one, who died but rose from the grave and appeared to Saul on the road to Damascus, and also in a vision in Jerusalem, is the one who commissioned, who sent Saul to the Gentiles. And with that commission, they needed to know that God desired to save Gentiles just like he desired to save the Jewish people. And that it was Jesus who had called, who had chosen Paul specifically to be his witness to all people, both Jews and Gentiles. But look at the crowd's response in verse 22. It says, and they listened to him and tell this word. And then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. We'll see in... Next study in Acts, how they tear their clothes and throw dust into the air. It's very, very demonstrative sort of Middle Eastern expression here of, of rage, outrage. But it's important for us to see that Paul's defense, his testimony, his sermon was incomplete. That while there are threads of the gospel all throughout Paul's testimony, that he never explicitly shared about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and how men and women can be saved and justified by grace through faith in Christ because Paul's defense was interrupted and he wasn't allowed to finish. See, once Paul shared that Jesus told him in that vision to depart because he was going to send him far from Jerusalem to the Gentiles, this Jewish crowd was unwilling to listen any longer. They didn't want to hear that their God, the God of their fathers, wanted to reach and save Gentiles without them converting to Judaism or becoming Jews first. And they began to raise their voices to shout in anger for Paul to be killed, saying that he wasn't fit to live. But I want us to notice here that Paul was faithful to the Lord in this opportunity that the Lord gave him to point others to Jesus. was faithful i mean we could look at this and go wow that was kind of a failure that's kind of a dud that didn't really turn out very well don't we feel that way when we share with somebody and it's just like or how about this we share with them and they're like you gotta die like we we'd be like wow not only did i fail like i this is i'm meeting jesus today like things have really taken a turn but we would look at this and go wow that wasn't very that wasn't very successful, maybe, in, in in some ways that we might estimate it. And yet, from God's perspective, that faithfulness aspect is hugely successful. Because you and I aren't responsible for the outcome of what, what happens when we share our testimony or share the gospel. We point people to Jesus. You and I can't save anybody. Only Jesus can. Our responsibility is to point people to the one who can save them to leave them with a greater estimation of who Jesus is And guys if we do that we've done well it may not turn out well may not turn out the way that we want the person might not break down in tears and go how can I be saved But we also have to trust in those things that that the Holy Spirit of God is working and moving and, and speaking long after we have left that conversation. Charles Spurgeon called the Holy Spirit the Hound of Heaven. And the Hound of Heaven is much better at tracking down people and bringing people to faith in Jesus than you and I ever will be. Paul was faithful to the Lord. He pointed others to Jesus. And that's what God's desiring us to do too, no matter the outcome, accepted or rejected. And we'll continue in this account in our next study in Acts. But I'm going to have the worship team come back up. In closing, you know, just a reminder here, God's desire is to save all people, not just some people. The Lord wants to save the devout, like Ananias, the zealous, like Saul, and also the ones who seem furthest from God. Which, in the mind of the Jewish people at that time, were the Gentiles. And listen, even though you know, even those who are in rebellion to the Lord and may even be violently, violently against the Lord, even those people are not unreachable. By the Lord. Paul is was living proof of that. So how do we respond? Pray, pray for people, love them, and continue to preach the gospel to them. Take opportunities, even if it's little ones, little things to 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 speak about the name of Jesus, to talk about Jesus. And then, and then repeat, pray, love, preach. Pray, love, preach. Keep being faithful. Sometimes people just need to see that you are legit. They need to see that you are that you really love them and you care about their souls. Sometimes people just need some time to process things. Don't give up on them. Don't write them off. Keep praying for them. Keep loving them. Keep sharing Jesus with them. And watch what Jesus does. Again, we're not responsible for the outcome of these opportunities. But we are responsible to step. God opens that door. Sometimes we see an open door and we're like, I don't like the door. I don't want to share with that person. Right? There's some times where it's like, there's something in us where it's like, nah, not me. Not right now. You know, I'm busy. Got this going on. That person's not going to want to listen to me. If there's an open door, would we be praying, Lord, give me boldness. Give me boldness. Give me your love for people. Because when we're driven by love for people, it helps overcome obstacles in our own heart of things that we kind of put up that keep us from, from actually taking that next step to opening our mouths. But, but listen, as we pray for people, the more that we pray for someone's soul, the more that we pray for the heart of someone, the more that we gain the Lord's heart for that person. The more that God has access to change our heart about someone. And God wants to do that. He knows even those areas where, where we have bitterness maybe towards someone. Or, or you know what? There's a hardness there. We've shared with them and they've shut us down. We just don't even care anymore. But that the Lord would soften us once again and keep us soft and yielded. Because if our hearts are hard towards somebody else, that's going to come across. They're going to sense that. They're going to see that. But would we be about the kingdom just as Paul was? We may not get these same opportunities. We may not have that top of the stairs overlooking thousands of people sort of opportunity, but God gives us opportunities all the time in our home, in our workplace, at the grocery store, in our neighborhood. There's these opportunities that the Lord gives and and would we be more and more prayerful? Lord, yes, give me the opportunities, but Lord, help me to see the opportunities, to step through the opportunities. And Lord, to have boldness to share you with others and to do it with the right heart. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul. And Lord, just that he desired to see people saved, even people who, are, who were against him, who were wanting to kill him. And his heart was not hardened toward those people. Lord. He didn't hold people at arm's length. And Lord, I pray, God, the things that we learn today, the things that we, we may maybe maybe it's stuff I didn't even say, Lord, but you were speaking to people's hearts. God, would we, would we really take hold of those things and seek to apply them? God help us to be praying for the people around us, Lord, for the unbelievers in our lives. God, praying for their hearts, but but also praying for our hearts, Lord, towards those people. Praying for opportunities, Lord. Praying for boldness. Praying for the power of your spirit, Lord. And then, God, being faithful in the moment. Lord, would you use us? Would you lead us in these days, God, where people are hopeless, they're hurting, they're angry, they're confused. They might have misunderstandings about us, misunderstandings about you, misunderstandings about your word. God, help us to be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within us. Lord, be ready to share the hope of Jesus with others. And God, will we see those in our lives that don't yet know you, come to a saving knowledge of you, Jesus. We desire that, Lord, so badly. God, I'm sure each of us have those people in our lives. Even now, they're in the front of our minds. God, help us to not give up in prayer. Help us to not give up in loving them. Help us to not give up in sharing the gospel, pointing them to you, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray even for those who have joined us. Maybe there's so many even here today who... They don't first just have a personal relationship with you, Lord. That God, even now that you'd be speaking to their hearts, God, that you'd be softening them. Lord, that they would see their own need for you. Lord, see how good you are and want you, Lord. If that's anybody here today and and you've never just first opened your heart to Jesus, that you've never made that decision. You've never surrendered your life to the Lord and asked him to forgive you. I want to give you that opportunity this morning if that's anybody in here would you stand where you're at and say that's me i i want my sins forgiven i want my debt paid i want to know that i'm saved that jesus is going to welcome me into heaven one day awesome well lord as we respond to your word now in songs of praise as we Take the communion elements as people take advantage of the prayer team who's wanting to pray for them, if that's them today. Lord, as we sing these songs, God, just be continue to be enthroned, Lord, in the praises of your people. Lord, continue to move in our hearts, God. Continue to stir, Lord, and revive. And God, give us a passion, a renewed passion, Lord, for you and your kingdom and your commission. And for the hearts of people, Lord, help us to be about you, Jesus, with every ounce of our being. And we thank you, Lord. We commit the rest of this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen.